Hey everybody, this is Jeremy. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We are excited that Season 2 starts next week on July 15th. We have released a trailer for Season 2 today, so if you find us on Facebook or Twitter or um, on YouTube, you can watch that trailer, and we would love it if you could go on and share that with all your social media connections. It would be an awesome help for our podcast. We have some exciting interviews coming up, and you can see little snippets of those interviews in this trailer. We're talking Tim Challies, Tom Askell, Samuel Say from slowtoright.com, Josh Bice. There are several people that you'll want to hear from. Uh, Justin Peters, there's another one. So go ahead and check out that trailer and please share it to help us out. We appreciate it. Enjoy this episode. All right, uh, we're back. Jeremy Howard and Jackson Washburn here. Jackson's still in Idaho? Yep, still just camping out up here. Uh, what's what's there to do during quarantine in Idaho? Um, you know, not much. I've I've turned to video games lately. Oh. Uh, I bet we play very different video games. What games do you play? Uh probably I've been playing Halo and uh The Witcher 3. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I do sports games, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I haven't played a video game in a really long time. Um, when, I, when my wife and I got married, I had a PlayStation 2, and she said, well, if you want to marry me, no PlayStation. I said, okay. And that was kind yeah. of the end of my video game career. Yeah. See, the conversation with my girlfriend is more about whether we'll have an Xbox or a Nintendo. I don't think we'll be able to reach a resolution there, so we might just have to get both. Okay. All right. Hey, that works. So, all right. Well, we're here uh, to discuss potentially more briefly than uh, normal to discuss presuppositions and just kind of picking up on where we left off with our last conversation about the when we start talking about what's at stake or um, what are the most important benefits that um, we miss out on by not being in each other's religion essentially we got right. into how uh, the historic protestant uh, view of theological view is um, when a person dies there's there's heaven and then there's hell and it's a uh, two places and it happens right after death whereas with within the uh the framework of Mormon theology, it's a huge, vast field with all kinds of options in comparison. So mm-hmm. um, it, it seems like. So, I mean, there's just there's a lot more uh, diversity in uh, what happens when a person dies. And so uh, the, the reason why we want to talk about presuppositions is because we both have them. And mm-hmm. if we don't talk about them, if we don't recognize them, then it doesn't do anybody any good. And so hopefully anybody listening will be challenged to think about their own presuppositions and to think through why they start where they start. And uh, one of the places that uh, your presuppositions show, showed through last time we discussed this was on the topic of hell. When you said how uh, your mother became born again Christian, started going to an evangelical church, your father uh, still Latter-day Saint. Uh, you're going to both churches, and you kind of have both theologies, uh, theological frameworks in front of you. And the Mormon theological framework was more appealing to you because, um, at least in part, because of the uh, concept of hell being a place of everlasting judgment um, for 
what would be the probably the majority of mankind throughout human history. So um, just wanted to bring that up and let's discuss why uh, you believe that that is um, wrong, why you believe it's immoral, why you believe it's deficient, however you want to phrase that. Uh, mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit more. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. And I think you did an, an accurate an accurate job of summarizing uh, what I recounted last time we talked. Um, so, you know, essentially, um, I, I would say one thing that made me very, uh, that, that I found very compelling with Mormonism um, was uh, viewing uh, uh, God's justice, God's mercy, um, you know, you could say even theodicy um, through, the, um, through the lens of individual progression. Um, I find Mormonism's emphasis on eternal progression um, for every individual uh, person uh, to have really interesting theological implications uh, that I don't necessarily find in classical theism. Um, so, you know, one thing when I've considered uh, the the issue of hell, for instance, um, I often see, you know, kind of two extremes uh, or um, maybe not even extremes, but uh, I see one side of the spectrum, you know, moving towards outright universalism, right? And then this other side of the spectrum uh, moving towards, um, I don't know if you'd want to call it like annihilationism or, or um, th- that means something else, theologically speaking. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, this, uh, this view of salvation where only a very select few individuals are saved maybe determinism um, um, yeah nihilistic determinism something like that um but uh you know just this view where instead of uh, everyone has um the opportunity to be saved um that god uh predestines or or selects a um a few which represent a, a, a fractional minority um who will be able to have salvate obtain salvation while the rest uh, are subjugated to uh, eternal judgment or eternal punishment um and you know i definitely want to be like self-aware about how my upbringing has influenced my own proclivities uh, and sensitivities towards these issues um mormonism because it's very you uni- uh it, it has a pretty universal uh theological framework or or uh, view of the afterlife um, you know, I, I don't think I'd be honest if I didn't tell you that that is something that I've been raised with. Right. And, yeah, and right, yeah. you know, that, that, that's been encultured in me and, and even as a talking point too, with Mormonism that, you know, everyone has the chance to be saved. Everyone has the chance to be exalted. Uh, everyone has the opportunity to be together as a family. Um, I, I think in one of our previous discussions, I've described Mormonism, um, and the Book of Mormon as well as as hyper Arminian um, in many respects. Um, and so I don't see this kind of, uh, you know, the same form of theological determinism. And instead, within the tradition, I, I even see an aversion towards um, notions of predestination or or God determining how we use our agency or, or right, uh, predestining us for either salvation or uh, damnation. So... Yeah, I, I would yeah. say anytime it's come up between 
being a Latter-day Saint and talking about Calvinism or whatever, it's almost like Ephesians one doesn't exist. Like those words aren't even in there. Um, mm. A lot of times just be like that aversion aspect, you know, cause I think anytime mm. it comes up and I thumbed through the, um, the Sunday school material from last year for your church. And it's just like, it doesn't go there in any way that we would go there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would agree. Different. And, and, and even when it doesn't go there, there's other times within the tradition, just even recently at our general conference, we just had where speakers might actually offer criticisms of predestination or, you know, right. um, you know, kind Was of that Holland? Um, yeah, I, I think it was Holland, uh, this, this, uh, conference, but, uh, yeah. So, right. You know, I, I, I would say, you know, that I have a bias towards it. Um, and it's hard for me to exactly like, you know, I, I, I don't know if I have the, the ability to just, you know, both recognize it as bias and then turn it off as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's something that's there and um, that, uh, you know, perhaps this is an area where if ever I was to change my view, I would need a, a lot more uh, explanation or, or find something particularly compelling. Um, but within, within this framework of, of personal progression, eternal progression that, that I've articulated, um, one thing that I found compelling about it is that, um, at least in my view, uh, it's it's able to not uh, espouse a universalism to such an extent that people can live however they want. Um, and it ultimately doesn't matter what you do or how you live because everyone's going to be saved anyways. Um, and then it also doesn't uh, fall into the side of theological determinism. Instead, I, I find that it, it very much preserves both God's mercy and God's justice um, because the, the notion of progression um, or the act the event of individual progression is contingent on one's repentance or obedience or, or faith. Right. Um, so how, and, and this is something that came up, someone who was talking to me personally after listening to some of our dialogue, um, speaking to God's mercy and justice, yeah. how, how is that sin paid for? Um, Cause I, I'm curious to know, and I don't know if there's any kind of official church teaching on it, but you've got Jesus dying and satisfying the the demands of justice um, Mm -hmm. in your framework. Um, Now, why doesn't everybody just go straight to the celestial kingdom if that's the case? Right. Um, Because there's still, hopefully, I hope that doorbell isn't too loud. Um, (laughs) Oh, I thought it was a clock. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, we'll go with that then. No doorbell. Um, no, um, right. So why, why is Jesus still necessary in that, in that framework? Um, because I, you know, without him, I, I wouldn't see, um, uh, there, there wouldn't be the opportunity for repentance or there wouldn't be the opportunity for that kind of like internal um, self change that requires uh, powers beyond our own. Um, when I've described Mormonism as like hyper Arminian, I do see it as like very synergistic, right? Where, you know, it's not pure, like, and that's why I also don't, um, fully agree with critiques of Mormonism that cast it as, uh, um, purely a works-based religion. Um, because I, I find that underscores the, the role of deity or the role of, of Christ that is in the faith. Um, but it's just there in a, in a synergistic way, right? 
Um, so of my own accord, um, I would not be able to be saved. I would not be able to repent. Um, and uh, I, I would not be able to progress. Um, and so Mormons do believe that it's through God's grace, it's through the atonement of Christ that we're able to do those things. But those are things that we actively have to uh, choose to rely on and participate in and, and undergo. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, why, um, um, why in that framework does man have to do anything if Jesus truly paid it all? And true, if he truly satisfied the demands of justice, doesn't that mean that everyone is is innocent now? Um, I, you know, I, I'd say that the, they have the the capacity uh, to be innocent. Yes, um, but that's something that they actively have to choose to accept for themselves. Um, but if they but if they don't accept it, they still go to a heavenly kingdom, right? Um, they do, um, and so but their progression uh, would be, you know, essentially uh, halted or, or hindered. Um, so this, this is where the two def definitions of salvation, uh, you know, uh, need to be uh, fully articulated and understood, right? The one uh, referring to exaltation um, and living with God and the other referring um, to the universal bodily resurrection. Uh, that is freely available to all, regardless of whether or not they uh, accept X, Y, or Z. So maybe going back to the the terms that I threw in there when we talked about that, Jesus essentially, in your framework, purchased everyone's promotion, but he didn't pur purchase everyone's exaltation. So everyone will be promoted to a heavenly kingdom, but not everyone will be exalted to the highest of heavenly kingdoms. Yeah, and... and you know, the view of, uh, I, the vocabulary can be difficult at times because I, I certainly want to not, uh, fall into a kind of like vending machine type, uh, religion in the sense of like, it's a simple input output. Um, you know, that, that can often turn into, to legalism in my opinion. Um, but in the sense of, you know, uh, it, it's Jesus that's made it possible for us to not just be resurrected uh, in our bodily forms, but also return with God and live eternally with him. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that the atonement is infinite in that it, um, it covers uh, the, the full extent of who we can become, right? And it's a matter of us relying on that atonement. Um, and the degree uh, upon which we turn to Christ, rely on him, um, and follow him, um, I guess, corresponds with, you know, our individual progression. Okay. I don't know so, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so going back then to, you, I mean, obviously you find that to be beautiful and fitting and right. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, looking, uh, eternally into the future, your family's there too. Um, mm -hmm. And, and seeing how all that plays out, you, you're seeing that as virtuous essentially within a theological framework. That's a virtuous uh, framework. Where do you get the standards then by which you judge a framework, a theological framework? Um, in terms of like objective standards. Uh, yeah. You know, like, how do you know like, that, uh, 
your bias is legit. Right. Yeah. And, and so this turns to epistemology and, um, So for me, uh, and we've actually chatted about this before uh, in, in person, um, Mormon epistemology, um, but I, I don't think uh, that Mormonism would have um, a singular objective standard um, uh, in the same sense that evangelical Protestantism uh, would consider an ev- uh, an ob- a singular objective standard. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, it, within... Uh, evangelical Christianity, the, the singular objective standard would be God or God's word, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah God. All authority is yeah, from yeah, God. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so with Mormonism, where you have um, essentially a theological system uh, with eternal laws that transcend God, uh, that God did not create himself, uh, but instead is uh, subject to or has to abide by, um, you know, God, therefore, um, in Mormonism, I don't see God as the, the singular objective standard. Um, I, I see God as the uh, useful entity um, or uh, even the, the, the necessary entity um, in the sense of allowing us to learn about um, these objective eternal laws. Um, but uh, Mormonism would presuppose a certain um, objective eternal laws that transcend God and that it's by God, you know, uh, turning to God, uh, relying on his word, relying on, uh, truth that exists. If something is, is true, um, we Mormons see it as ultimately, uh, coming from God. Um, and so, um, it's, it's in that process, um, that, uh, we can, we can progress. Um, so if you were to ask me like, what, what's your singular, like measuring stick? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there is a, a single one in Mormonism. Um, there's perhaps multiple, uh, useful tools that we have, uh, within our finite, uh, limited mortal capacities, uh, such as our reason, our spirituality, um, the things that we experience, uh, all all of these things can be used, uh, to help us you know, turn towards God, learn more about him, learn more about truth, and therefore, in a larger sense, uh, learn about the, the way that reality works and, and the universe works and uh, what eternal laws exist. Um, but uh, I, I don't think I'd be able to uh, point to a singular objective standard in the same way that, that you would be able to. Um, I, I would see God uh, and God's word as the functional uh, objective standard in Mormonism, um, but not the the absolute or the the actual one in the same sense of, of evangelical Christianity. So, so like, so, so like, God, you're... oh, go ahead. Oh well, yeah. Just to clarify, God still plays the same role in the sense of, uh, um, you know, it, it's to God that we look for understanding of eternal law and truth and our own experiences. Um, but in like, let's say like a metaphysical or ontological sense, God isn't that, uh, ultimate, uh, objective standard within Mormonism. So when your, uh, reasoning butts up against, um, other reasoning, so like the atheist, for example, uh, how, 
how can you say that the atheist is wrong with any amount of confidence? Yeah, um, I, I think with all of these, you know, uh, claims that we make, uh, right, wrong, true, not true, um, we have to have the epistemic humility uh, to recognize the, the the framework that we're saying that or claiming that from, right? And so um, while I, you know, can be confident in uh, an answer uh, that I give um, through the lens of my life experience, the things that I know, the things that I, I understand or I've learned, um, I, I can't say that in an absolute sense. Um, so because, would you say it's all about probability and not certainty? Um, yeah, cer certainty is an in interesting concept. Um, I, I guess I'm saying that as subjective, uh, finite individuals, um, I'm incapable of transcending my own subjectivity and therefore speaking uh, outside of that objectively in a truly like absolute sense. Um, so, you know, I can certainly speak with, with confidence um, based off my own knowledge, my own understanding, reasoning, um, life experience, et cetera. Yeah, yeah would, your, um, would your personal testimony play into that too? Yeah, I, spirituality would play into that as well. Um, but I don't think I, um, at least for me, uh, the way I see it, um, speaking with, with certainty as if I am stepping outside of my own subjectivity and uh, speaking in an absolute sense, I don't, I don't know if any of us have the, the capacity to do that. Um, I don't personally think about it in terms of probability because I think that also like assumes a that we have this absolute framework through which we actually understand the probability. Um, but in terms of, you know, what, what makes sense given our, our understanding, our experience, spirituality, et cetera. Um, uh, we kind of have to do the best with what we have is what I would uh, so advise. Are you, to do. are you kind of, do you think you find yourself in the position of saying, I'm certain that I can't be certain? And yeah. all the problems that come with that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. everything's going to have uh, everything's going to have something worthy of calling out and explaining further. But I, I'm just when I hear you say what you're saying, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, that's so weird. All my monitors just shut off. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you're still here. That's a, that's. Is this a well, sign I from God? <laughs> I don't know what just happened. Are you using a desktop or a, a laptop? No, nothing. What about now? Yep, I can hear you now. Oh. Wow. That was so bizarre. So I have three monitors. Let me maybe show you. I've got you there. I've got a vertical okay. monitor over here and I've got a TV up here mm -hmm. and they all shut down, but I can still hear you. Yeah, I, I guess. Oh, you could hear me while you were the, shut the off. Monitors off. Yeah. Oh, that, and that's so interesting. I thought maybe there was a power surge. And so I flipped the um, power strip and, but the computer was plugged into that. So that shut down my computer.
that was a weird thing. But, okay, but you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Okay, and it says it's recording, so. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure it was recording that whole time. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, let's, uh, okay, <laughs> we'll just pick back up to, with where we were. Um, the question was. The, the certainty yourself, about uncertainty. Yeah, are you certain that you're uncertain? Do you see that that's a problem? How do you get out of that problem, et cetera? Yeah, I, I do. I do see it uh, as an issue, uh, not just in the sense of like, um, you know, there's self contradiction there, but also a level of, of circularity. Um, so, you know, I, I would say that, again, it, it's my best understanding uh, that I, you know, can't achieve certainty. Um, you know, if I get to the point where I can, right. And I mean, I use, I use the term certain, certainly as, as well. Right. You know, so that's not something that is absent of my vernacular. Um, but if we're talking like a truly metaphysical, absolute kind of certainty, um, I don't know that any of us, uh, as, uh, subjective, uh, finite individuals can achieve that. Um, from my understanding, uh, such a, a, a viewpoint can only truly be held by the uh, kind of classical, the God of classical theism, you know, if we're talking about absolute uh, beings here. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too, because I think this speaks to both of our uh, epistemologies. Um, you know, it uh, like, are, are you claiming that you're able to have uh, that same kind of certainty or, or is it more because you rely on a being that is uh, metaphysically absolute that you can essentially have that certainty, even though you yourself are a finite individual? Yeah. So one of the things that is said in my type of apologetic circles is um, in order to truly know anything, we must know everything or have revelation from the one who does. And so uh, my certainty then is rooted in the omniscient God, the uh, omnipresent God, the omnipotent God, and all, all of his attributes that lie outside of the human experience that are greater than uh, human uh, qualities and capabilities. Him uh, as, a, as a being or he as a being and all of his uh, attributes infused through revelation to me gives me certainty so when i when i go to a passage like um in romans 8 where it says no one can separate me from the love of the father mm-hmm. that's certainty right <laughs> or um you know in paul when he's talking about christ resurrected in first corinthians 15 there's extreme certainty there uh that you know look if if christ uh, has not been raised, then we are, of all men are most to be pitied, but Christ has been raised and that there was like an absolute certainty about that. And, you know, I, I see it. If I, if I give up the certainty of uh, my, my faith, the substance of my faith, then I, I have no faith. Mm-hmm. So essentially um, I guess from that, I'm also getting that uh, uh, knowledge uh, and reason are only capable uh, from from your perspective within uh, a small o orthodox Christian worldview. 
So an explanation of the foundation of our reasoning is only available mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, right. Obviously, all people are on the earth are able to discern certain yeah. things and to make logical statements and all of that. But if if you try to um, ask somebody, what what's the foundation for your logic? Why is logic logic? Where did logic come from? Outside of a biblical worldview, you really can't get an answer other than it kind of defaults back to, well, it's just always been. So it, it becomes the eternal thing rather than mm-hmm. flowing from the God who is eternal. Mm-hmm. So in your view, why, why is that problematic um, uh, for, th- for that to be seen as the eternal thing? Uh, because it's not just that, uh, but then there, there are lots of other things. Um, in the presuppositional uh, you know, apologetics framework, we see um, not just logic, but mathematics, the uniformity of nature, uh, things like that, that all have to be um, there for intelligence to exist. So we can't speak intelligently without certain things. Uh, I just listed off three, but there are more. Uh, And when you start asking, where did those come from? You can't just keep saying, well, that's all just eternal. uh, Because what is eternal at that point too? What is, what is timelessness? What is, uh, how could these things that are just abstractions or uh, whatever, how, how can those be eternal in and of themselves? Um, mm-hmm. You got to explain where those things came from too. Uh, so but basically you end up having a God who creates these things, or you have those things as being individual gods and you fall into some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of strange philosophical polytheism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I, I would say within, within Mormonism um, that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how Mormonism espouses eternal laws, which transcend God um, and that God has to abide by. Um, and so one thing that I've seen as a major difference between uh, classical theism or, or Orthodox Christianity and Mormonism is that God in Mormonism is not a necessary entity um, in the sense of, uh, um, you know, not only bringing uh, uh, matter into existence, let's say um, reality into existence, but then also uh, for the, you know, as establishing uh, the basis for uh, things like logic or, you know, some of these abstractions that we've been talking about. Um, those things exist, at least according to my understanding of Mormonism, they exist independent of God. Uh, and and so, so can I butt in there real quick, just yeah, for a, yeah. a matter of clarification? Um, do you believe in evolution? Mm-hmm. So before Homo sapiens who could reason existed, did those uh, did those laws exist? And I'm talking. Um, the very first one, so not not of this world, I suppose, in your framework, but the the very first one somewhere. Did those laws pre-exist those beings? Yes, I, I would say so. Um, and, and the reason is because you know I don't just see Homo sapiens, uh, the the mortal uh, species, as being the uh, the sole uh, possessors of reason. Uh, Mormonism also espouses a view of uh, pre-existence uh, before this life um, in which, um, you know, spirits as well um, and before spirits intelligences uh, are capable of, you know, 
presumably reason as well. Uh, they have agency, they're able to make decisions. Um, and so because um, Mormonism espouses uh, a, a view of every human uh, being co-eternal with God um, in, in some uh primal form um in the form of like these intelligences um that uh you know god's et uh eternality and our eternality um you know there's always been uh, it, from my understanding of mormonism uh ontological beings uh capable of possessing that reason okay um but that reason pre-existed those beings because those uh, are the true eternal no, nothing else is truly eternal in the same way that logic and all that stuff is eternal yeah I, I i'd have to give that some more thought for sure um part of me wants to say no because uh god uh, I, again Mormonism doesn't espouse a definitive um, point of creation for either the intelligences or or God. Um, if we're yeah. talking about it's like the, the two mirrors facing each other, infinite regression uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I I, I want to be careful about the infinite regression, um, just because like sometimes like that that's often used in the context of like um, you know. God having a God, having a God, having a God, having a God, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but in the sense of like, if, if, if we take the view that we are eternal and God is eternal, like our fundamental identities are eternal and those identities have the capacity for reason and nothing created uh, those fundamental beings, then, you know, I, I, I would say that we're as eternal in a sense as the laws of the universe um, but, uh, still operating under them. I don't know. I, I guess I would have to give that some more thought, um, how, um, you know, if, if we're espoused, if, if Mormonism is claiming, um, various entities, whether abstract or, or, uh, actual, uh, possessing like a, like a being, right. Um, how, how there are then, uh, you know, maybe hierarchies, let's say, of, uh, how, 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 let's say the beings could be subjected to the abstract laws. Um, yeah, I, that, that would be worthwhile, um, considering, I think it, it was that part of the, is that something that you had in mind, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, like the point that you were trying to make by understanding you correctly? Uh, there? I, I, no, I think we started chasing a rabbit. Okay. <laughs> so, I, yeah, um, I, I apologize. No, See, no, it's this, probably my fault. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, th this is where in Mormonism, uh, uh, almost all Latter-day Saints I know would consider this quote-unquote deep doctrine and, and not even hard doctrine and uh, more speculative doctrine. Mormonism doesn't, like, uh, from from a orthodox doctrinal understanding, uh, doesn't have an official position uh, in these types of matters. Um, and so it is uh, almost completely theological speculation. Um, but it, it's still possible for Mormons to, you know, chase these rabbit hole rabbits down, you know, 
to their logical end and, and, you know, see what we're actually talking about, you know, what are the implications of these claims? Well, so in that, in that same vein, then for the average Mormon, uh, the mind starts going this direction and starts thinking about certainty and uh-huh. the ability or inability to have certainty. How does that tie into say you personally, your hope, um, you know, hope is obviously a big religious theme, but definitely a, a big biblical theme. And it seems to me that if there is no certainty, there can be no hope. But what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, and I, I do want to differentiate myself a bit between the, the average Latter-day Saint, just in the sense of um, I, I tend to be a bit more uh, sensitive about uh, the language that I use, the rhetoric of certainty. Sure. Um, um, and I, uh, a lot of Latter-day Saints in my experience, uh, we are very, um, very often we espouse uh, uh, language, um, you know, often in the form of I know this, right? The, I, I, the standard Mormon testimony consists of yes. a lot of I know this, I know this, I know this, right? You talk to any Mormon missionary, that's often what they'll say, go to a fast and testimony meeting, that's what you'll hear, right? Um, and so... Uh, Often I, I find that, uh, at least I understand that to be many times synonymous with, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, and, and even let's say a very confident belief. Um, some Latter-day Saints perhaps mean it in the sense of like, I know with an absolute certainty, right? You might, mm-hmm. might hear, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt or with every fiber of my being or something like that. I don't know. Well, we have, and, and we have our little colloquialisms I, there, but. I think more so in past decades or past generations maybe than now you would often get the the testimony trump card right i mean i know i had a personal witness from the holy ghost i know and i don't think i hear that as much um today than maybe i would have 30 40 50 years ago but yeah but that it seems like there was a lot of certainty in that for some people yeah i i guess one reason uh i have a lot of reservation towards uh that kind of language and and the implications of even let's say that uh epistemology is that uh for me it strikes me as uh as fideism uh which i consider to be um problematic in different ways like i i certainly see value in faith and spirituality and and incorporate them as a as a part a very necessary part even of my uh identity and and making sense of of the world around me um but uh pure fideism you know i would consider that problematic um and a lot of latter-day saints let's say don't uh think out some of the the issues with that and so you know might uh, use that language yeah and for Um, those who don't know that that term comes from the latin word fide meaning faith and uh basically uh that view is I can't say anything to convince you. You just need to have a personal encounter of your own that will give you uh, the knowledge that you need to know. And that, that type of presentation exists within Christianity. Martin Luther uh, leaned that way. And, um, and so anyway, for those who didn't know the term, I just wanted to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and often it, um, comes at the expense of reason as well, I would say. Like if you're if you're engaging in pure fideism, um, these these subjective spiritual experiences trump everything else um, to the extent that, right, like you said, it is a trump card that can be played. Um, so, uh, you know, 
you will find Mormons talking about uh, spiritual experiences, um, uh, you know, sacred encounters that they've had or, or moments that they associate or identify with the, with the Holy Spirit as confirming something to them. Uh, often when it comes to, let's say, the Book of Mormon or Joseph Smith is a prophet of God or, or something like that. Um, and uh, again, like I, I, I find, I find those to be very, uh, important and necessary as well, uh, in understanding my own, um, my own worldview. Um, they, they have a very integral role. Um, but I, I would not give them such a position as to rule out reason or, or all these other, what I would consider useful tools for determining truth. Um, and uh, I, I certainly don't um, see there I am using the language of certainty. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I, I don't, um, I, I also don't see them as uh, um, the, as a completely reliable means of determining truth, um, like, like, uh, like a, a fail safe uh, means of determining truth. Um, there's still subjectivity there. Um, there's still room for error, I would say. Uh, and, and so that's why I wouldn't see them as a, as an absolute standard either. So, um, like what, some Mormons treat them. What would you, what would you say to, um, or how would you critique a view like mine that starts with authoritative God giving us authoritative revelation by which we can know and understand who he is and who we are and what salvation is and having that being, the standard outside of outside of myself, uh, mm-hmm. I appeal to that and seek to know what God has said objectively. Um, what's what's the issue with that from your world? Well, I, I guess the first thing I would like to ask, uh, both in terms of personal clarification and for the sake of the argument, um, is you know, with what you just articulated in mind, um, is there a way uh, within your worldview for you to? Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, come to the conclusion that those assumptions are, are wrong um, or that, uh, right, like how, how, how would you, um, yeah, I, is there a way to test that? Is there a way to, you know, um, even demonstrate that, that that's a, that that's a false uh, worldview to hold, or those are false presuppositions to have. Um, yeah. So, so for me, and, and this might seem incredibly simplistic to someone who doesn't share the same worldview as me, but for me, it comes down to lordship. And so, mm-hmm. to be persuaded otherwise, I would have to forsake the lordship of the God who exists and His revelation to embrace my own lordship and apply my own standards to determine what is right and what is wrong. It's a, mm-hmm. it's really a fundamental and elementary point, but I think right. it is the, um, as far as who gets to determine what is true. And, mm-hmm. and the starting point that I have um, is God gets to determine, I don't get to determine. And that's what I seek to uphold, not only just as a starting point, but also in every area of my theology and, and discernment. Hmm. Yeah, and and I definitely understand that in theory, um, but I I still can't help but feel like there's um, uh, there there's a level of of self uh, 
selection there, let's say, um, that, uh, yes, you know, I, I understand uh, that within your worldview, you would hold yourself or you would hold God as the, the, the ultimate arbiter of truth. Um, and, uh, you know, you have a very strong commitment um, to maintain that, that sovereignty, that lordship, like you said. Um, but um, I, I guess, is that not still a choice that you're actively making, right? Um, yeah, so it, it comes down, um, I don't know why I started saying it comes down. It, it also includes, is what I meant to say, a spiritual element. And mm-hmm. um, I would be disingenuous to ignore that God is also, um, he's not only transcendent as the judge and knower of all things and revelator of all truth, uh, he's also imminent. He's also in the world, working in the world and mm-hmm. uh, in the hearts and minds of people. So mm-hmm. um, there is an aspect of the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, as Jesus taught. And uh, beyond that, there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit illuminating the revelation of God in in the heart and mind of a human being. Um in the process of drawing that person uh, to salvation. So uh, there are those two elements at play wherein God is doing the work and Mm -hmm. causing a person to then um, make choices that, that honor him. And it starts with recognizing his Lordship and submitting to that. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I definitely agree that in order, right. Um, in order for you to hypothetically reach an alternative conclusion, right, that, that would necessitate for you to forego uh, one, if not multiple uh, of those presuppositions, right, that you shared. Um, you know, so I, I don't want to suggest that uh, um, you could maintain your same beliefs while, you know, rejecting, you know, part or, or all of them, right? Um, I, I guess this also, so I've heard atheists, uh, some atheists before, uh, um, kind of as a, uh, a slight against theism, right? Ask, you know, essentially say that theism is not the, the natural state, um, let's say, uh, that, uh, you know, if you were to just raise a child, right, um, without a belief in God, uh, they would not believe in God, let's say, right? And, and so they would... Um, you know, I, I understand there's a difference between, um, you know, perhaps, uh, like non-theism and then outright atheism, right? Like believing there is no God versus, you know, not believing or disbelieving in the existence of God. Um, but, uh, I, I assume that, uh, based off your, your understanding of, of Romans, uh, you would hold a, a view of, I don't know if natural theology is the right term, but, uh, that, all of us, uh, regardless of our uh, life experiences or, or worldviews, uh, that we all have um, some level of, of knowledge of, of the creator, of creation, of, of um, I, I don't know what else you would put in those yeah. categories, but, but we all, right, um, we, we all have some level of knowledge of the truth, right, and, and within your worldview, um, would you say it's true that, uh, um, uh, I I guess humanity is either split into the category of those who, 
uh, have been determined uh, to know and actively understand the truth um, to a salvific extent. And then those that uh, um, either now or for the extent of their lives uh, won't come to that knowledge uh, for a uh, salvific extent that God allows them to maybe uh, continue uh, in a, in a state of, of deception or, or self-deception. I don't know what the right term you would want to use there is, but sure. Um, yeah. So as far as man and his natural state, um, yeah, you mentioned Romans. Romans one talks yeah, about that. Yeah, Romans one eighteen yeah. ish. Yeah, um, and this is where total depravity would would come in as well, right? That that man is a, inherently like an enemy to to God. Yeah, I mean, if, and if if you go back to the Old Testament uh, passages, like in Ecclesiastes three, it says God has set eternity on every man's heart. So there's an aspect that man being made in the image of God, Genesis one um, and two, Gen- uh, God. God creating man in his own image, setting eternity on his heart and giving man not only specific revelation, which is his word that goes into great detail about truths and um, all kinds of things, but general revelation, which is nature itself, the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19 says that's the argument of Romans one is that man from creation can see that, um, you know, it's evident that God exists. It's not that man figures it out. It's that it's evident um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, the, all those things are true and you have then man being blinded by mm-hmm. sin, which is yeah. what Romans goes on to talk about that. What does man do with this knowledge? Well, he suppresses it and replaces yeah. it with yeah. a lie. He suppresses, uh, worshiping the one true God to replace him with idols. And, uh, you know, this is how God has told us the world works. The atheist who says, well, uh, you know, the, the natural flow of a human's life isn't to worship God. I agree. <laughs> uh, but I agree based on what God has said about what man does with truth. The yeah. atheist is assuming a whole host of other factors. The atheist is building that argument on truckloads of presuppositions that he refuses to acknowledge because he wants to be the Lord who creates reality and creates truth. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely. Uh, God's revelation is just at the center of the way that I, I view all of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. And I, I appreciate you uh, helping me understand that better. Um, I, I don't know if there was any other questions that, that you had for, for me or uh, no. if, if we're about out of time here. I, I know we yeah, want to we're, keep we're, it a bit shorter today. Yeah, we're getting pretty close. Um but if you had any concluding thoughts or questions, um, let's give it maybe five more minutes. So with some of the things that you've uh, articulated, um, would you say that it's okay. I, I guess my first question is, would you, would you identify uh, within uh a particular school of reformed theology uh, that would espouse what people call presuppositional apologetics then? Yeah, I mean, it, it stems from Vantillianism. Cornelius yeah. Vantill was really um, the philosophical 
mind behind this. Um, he, he built the skeleton, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, for modern presuppositional apologetics. Greg Bonson would be the guy who put meat on the bones. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and today, um, it's a pretty vast network, and there's a, a lot yeah. of, uh, there's a spectrum within it. Yeah. And so uh, I am not a Westminster Reformed guy. Um, I would be closer to the London Baptist Confession, but even then, I'm not in full agreement with the London Baptist Confession. Um, there's a there's a pretty wide range uh, mm-hmm. there. Yeah, um, with 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 schools of apologetic thought, um, would that be considered uh, a secondary issue uh, issue within your uh, Christian worldview? Yeah, you've got guys like he's dead now, uh, Norman Geisler. William mm-hmm. Lane Craig, uh, yeah. you know, they're much more classical, like, philosophical. It, um, is, is evidentialism also another term that, that's used? Yes. So you got basically uh, four, let's see, which hand is which? Um, you've basically got four uh, uh, approaches. And so on one end, you have uh, like classical, which is the philosophical William Lane Craig, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, fit that mm-hmm. category. And then you have mm-hmm. evidentialists who that's Robbie Zacharias except he's kind of classical too. Um, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, guys like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Turek. Then mm-hmm. you have the presuppositional apologist, uh, James White would be a big yeah. one. Uh, currently Saiten Bruggenkate is another one. Um, but a lot of just not huge name guys. And then you have the, the, I, I say feediest, uh, is mm-hmm. how I pronounce that word. Uh, because I'm from Missouri and I don't say anything right naturally. And that that's on the other end of the spectrum. And those guys don't truly engage in apologetics because from their conviction, you, you shouldn't uh, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's kind of the spectrum. And it is secondary. Um, wouldn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't consider that a, a primary thing. And I have moved from classical evidential to presuppositional in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate uh, the, the clarification there, um, you know, not not for any, you know, argument's sake, but uh, just to help me understand, yeah. you know, uh, what, what the spectrum or what these schools of thought look like in relation to each other. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's probably uh, all that I have for you today. But, uh, you know, again, I appreciate your time. Uh, I've enjoyed our conversations uh, these past few weeks as well. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. And, um, you know, if anybody has any questions or thoughts, drop a comment wherever you're seeing this, and uh, we'd love to engage in those. So um, thanks again, Jackson. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it.